Ten-year treasuries tapped 5%, putting pressure on global markets and definitely on the stock market, although it's now receded back to about 4.97%. But is the real story here that while there's fear of a Black Monday that people have been calling for, although stocks are only down about 1%, while people are calling for a Black Monday, Bitcoin is up and testing almost its yearly highs, touching 31,000 today, as you know, the yearly high around 31,800. Can we finally celebrate a lack of correlation between Bitcoin and other markets? Or is this once again just the Bitcoin traders getting extremely excited before an inevitable letdown? We're going to talk about everything in macro, macro and, of course, Bitcoin with Mike McGlone, James Lavish, and Dave Weisberger right now. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I'm going to go ahead and bring everyone on now. I was having some technical difficulties. That's why we're a couple of minutes late. I've got Mike McGlone, Dave La- uh, James Lavish, Dave Lavish, and James Weisberger. James Lavish <laughs> and Dave Weisberger, who's giving us the side view today. Very, very side nice. Oh, he, he's side switching it up. Dave, give him the side eye to Mike. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we get permanent <laughs> side, ah, Dave. We get permanent side eye today from Dave. Thank you. <laughs> Too so, early guys. for a victory lap, Scott. Too early. All right, we got Mike. I got to ask you first. The same question from the beginning: five percent yield calls for Black Monday, death of Marcus. It's all over, and Bitcoin just rising. Can we celebrate yet? I, I'm, I'm bowing in Dave's general direction at the moment, which virtually everybody who has any position in stocks, bonds, um, are losing money this morning, and yet Bitcoin is up. Now, it's Bitcoin's dragging up cryptos, and I think, yeah, hopefully this is the beginning of something. Certainly for Bitcoin, this is what a lot of us have been hoping for. I don't want to be a hopeful person. I want to be a you know more definitive outlook person. And this is a really good sign. And as far as Black Monday, I mean, the one thing that if I can share screen, I, first I want to show um, what is mattering. This is just a chart of Bitcoin and gold and Bitcoin breaking out higher and gold kind of languishing. This is pretty significant if that continues. But if you scroll out, I just like to do the naturally scroll out a year. You see the, the battle Bitcoin has to fight. Gold's kind of just hovering at this level it's ready to break out higher but and bitcoin dropping lower but um i i think i just want to go through one key thing that's been notable for, for gold that's really significant the last year is total holdings of etfs and gold are down about 10 percent, and gold's up about 20 percent. that's virtually never happened since etf started trading almost 20 years ago and i think what might be happening is people are making room for Bitcoin in their portfolios. And yes. that's showing up in, in, in performance. Um, so that's obviously it's the central banks buying gold. I mean, the deepest pockets on the planet. But that to me is part of what you, you might be seeing this morning. Now we have to see how the, the um, stock market works out. But I'll end with one key chart is the S&P 500. It's just hovering that, on that 200-day moving average. It kissed it a few days ago, which is a kiss of death. And I think it's just a matter of time it breaks down. It's just a normal recession. And what I overlay in with this chart is industrial metals. Industrial metals already show deflation leanings on a global basis. Yeah, I don't think there's a single person among this group who is bullish on stocks right now, right? So the, the question then becomes our age-old debate about the correlation. Here's what you said, Mike. Bitcoin is 31K as gold offers bullish cues. 
uh, I'm sorry. Like the, these assets have not been correlated. And just because they're both going up for a couple of weeks doesn't all of a sudden make them correlated. I would love to make the Bitcoin is digital gold price argument. But to me, this is Larry Fink calling Bitcoin a flight to quality on na- on you know national TV, ETF hype, and all the other things that Bitcoin and losses by the SEC to the court system, to be frank. These are all sort of the things I think that are pushing Bitcoin up in the in the midst of this. It's just Wonder if it can keep going, right? Thirty-one thousand. We're talking about yearly highs here, starting to push towards a level that I think most sellers would actually be interested in taking some profit. James, what do you think? Yeah, I think you know I agree with you, Scott. That uh, I would love to say that Bitcoin is uh, is now become the flight to safety. That um, you know it's the it's that asset that everybody's been waiting for to to mature into. But the reality is, uh, I, I believe that it's just like like you and mike have been saying it's it's a um, it's trader hype um that uh and that's actually maybe a little bit harsh i think it's uh it's recognition and of the reality that we are going to get a bitcoin spot etf soon whether it's by the end of the year or first quarter next year we're going to get it and and so you've got some uh speculators who are trying to get ahead of that do, do, will they make money off it yeah i believe they ultimately will you know uh there's there there's that there's a little bit of uh of um, a verbal battle going on whether or not this is a a buy the rumor sell the news kind of event and i i think it's uh by the rumor the news may dip slightly but long term it's a massive massive financial boost to the underlying uh you know value of bitcoin just because it, it becomes and I, I even I wrote this right before we got on the show. It's it translates Bitcoin BTC into a language, into a securities language that institutional investors they know, they speak, and they do business in every single day. And it just it, it makes it so much easier for them to avoid not just uh, um, you know operational risk, and but it's career risk. So it, yeah. it simplifies it for them, makes it super easy and. You know, it's just reality. Uh, it, it, this is not this is not people thinking that BlackRock is going to come in and put two trillion dollars into this. This is this is people understanding that BlackRock's ETF and Fidelity's ETF and maybe GPTC will allow institutions to uh, come into the space really really easily. That's all it is. Yeah, I I like that. It's buy the rumor, buy the news dip. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> sorry. The simple fact is what what we all experienced last Monday, which was enormously fun, uh, is as clear a proof as I have ever seen in my entire life that it's not priced in. And you you don't have to ask, you know, you don't have to question, you don't have to whatever. I mean, it would have been thirty five thousand in within an hour if that news was verified. Now, the reality is that news was idiotic. Uh, which I said at the time, it was like BlackRock won't be first. I mean, because, you know, GBDC at the court case, blah, blah, blah. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. They're going to do a bunch together. It's very, very clear that that's true. Uh, anything else and, you know, some political donor will be very, very angry and they don't want that to happen. And, you know, with all due respect to Bitwise and Kathy Wood, uh, I mean, I think that they will get included, the ones who have, have, have played ball with the SEC, but there's no way they're going to prioritize BlackRock over Fidelity or vice versa. 
Uh, it's just that's, that's not the way Washington works. So I, I don't see that that happening. But the, the thing that's really important, what James was trying to get at is, and what Mike was getting at, are a couple of very important points. Very important point number one uh, was institutions. Mike, James said it perfectly. I have nothing to add there. It is absolutely true. And that is, you know, some very large number of trillions of dollars of assets that yeah, a very small percentage will start migrating into Bitcoin. But Bitcoin on the margin is a half a trillion dollar asset of which less than 20 percent uh, is acting like free float. So you're talking about a hundred billion dollar asset. So it doesn't take much. Uh, to start pushing it up on the margin. And that's why people like Mark Yusko make the statement that by his math, the institutional adoption alone at half a percent to 1% across the institutional portfolios that are legitimately 60-40 type you know, asset allocators is easily enough to bring Bitcoin, and it won't happen overnight, to 150. But there's a couple of other things people need to understand. Thing to understand, number one, Bitcoin adoption is hamstrung by the greed of all the crypto bros in the space. I'm going to say that again because I, I want that to get quoted. Bitcoin's adoption is being hamstrung by the greed of the Bitcoin maxis who claim to be holier than thou in the space because right now retail will be able to buy an ETF for zero commission at a spread that is somewhere less than five basis points. And if you try to buy Bitcoin in your own portfolio and pay whatever you're going to pay a, a custodian to hold it, which is going to be more than you're going to pay the management fee to BlackRock or Fidelity, or you know, if assuming you want to have you know you want to have estate planning for everyone around you, uh, unless you happen to have very technologically oriented spouses. Uh, then you're going to pay something. But even if you didn't, the numbers are small. But the average retail commission or spread to buy Bitcoin from all these crypto bro platforms starts at just under 1%. So what I'm talking about is a 95% discount for trading and investing in Bitcoin in your portfolios, which is something nobody talks about, but I don't know why. I mean, everyone talks about the fact that retail brokerage platforms, which make up multiple trillions of dollars, are now be allowed to trade it. And that's important. But it's also important to know that people who buy and sell on Swan Bitcoin or Abra or God forbid Coinbase, you know, in, in their, their pure retail platform, will get a 90 to 95 percent discount if they decide to use their brokerage account again instead. That is a very big number. And even if the management fee is 30, 40 basis points, it probably that's what it is. Think about it. You'd have to hold it for three years to break even, even against self-custody. And, you know, it, it, that is a big deal. So Bitcoin adoption is going to get a massive boost. Now, it doesn't happen day one, but it happens. And anyone who ignores economics, and James is going to laugh. Our current government is going to find this out very quickly if they haven't already. When you ignore basic supply and demand economics, you're on the wrong side of history. Full stop. And understanding a 90 to 95 percent discount is going to occur for the entire U.S. investment market is something we can't ignore. And I think that's why the inevitability of its approval is getting traders positioning. Everybody who traded last Monday figured out that shorting Bitcoin right now is like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Yeah. And so the amount of people willing to short it 
are negligible. Well, what happens when you take the short side out of the equation? Well, guess what? We're now above the price that it was trading when we were talking last Monday. And that's why. It's not for any specific reason. It's that people said, oh, God, it's too expensive to short this. And the whole speculative world, as you know, was speculating short. So that's what's going on here. It will fade, you know, when buying it, you know, says, wait a minute, we've gone too far unless we get, you know, unless something happens on the macro side, et cetera. But that's what's going on. Okay, first, Dave, when you said uh, it was we were being hamstrung by the crypto bros, at first I thought you were going to blame the altcoin traders and you uh, rightfully blame the maxis. So I, I appreciated that. But I have to say, speaking of altcoin traders, and I never say this time is different, but last Monday, what we saw on the ETF hype pump while we were live was that Bitcoin went up $2,000 and altcoins suffered massively against their Bitcoin pair. We know that the liquidity was largely coming from crypto traders who were doing the usual holy crap, Bitcoin's going up. I'm getting out of my altcoins to be in Bitcoin. I'll go back into altcoins another time. Interestingly, right now, we have Bitcoin rising to 31,000 and altcoins are absolutely ripping. That cannot happen, at least in, unless there's at least some new money coming into this market and not just the washing machine. So maybe that's crypto people who have been sitting in stable coins and are waiting to trade and are just feeling confident in the market. I don't know, but just very quickly, a few charts just to illustrate this. Solana, I mean, in October, $21 to $29. Link just left accumulation that started in May of 22 has finally broken out. Now, given a lot of these look like they're topping as we speak, to be quite frank. But you got to go back it, a bit because I know how yeah. much I'm down on my link. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to show the whole chart, but right. Uh, launching off the EQ of this range, $7.20 up to over $11, right? In, in a matter of days. Injective breaking out right now of a range it's been in since May. Obviously, these are all massively overbought. I think retreasure. Matic potentially breaking out, also putting in a top cable. But we're seeing right now for the first time across altcoin charts, some actual liquidity, an increase in volume, and some technical moves. Listen, these end up usually being fake outs. It goes back to Bitcoin, whatever. The point being, does this finally show us that there's real interest in the whole market and there's actual liquidity coming in from somewhere outside? Because they can't all be going up on increased volume without new money. Anyone, uh, Mike, you could give me your first thought because uh, yeah, you're in line. I was afraid you were going to ask me on that because um, I'm <clears throat> I'm really suspect of the altcoins because typically um, this is altcoins thrive on liquidity. And we all know, we see what's happening in the broader stock market, industrial metals, Fed funds, everything. Liquidity is still being pulled from the system. I can see this case for Bitcoin and ETFs and digital gold replacing analog. But I'm more suspect of this altcoin rally being on the back of Bitcoin. It's going to reverse and say, okay, we still have a problem. Um, we're pumped on liquidity from that's the facts have changed. So that's what time's going to tell, but I still am biased towards what's happening in Bitcoin is quite significant. So that's where I'm really worried then. Um, it, it would be, to me, more definitive if all kinds are following the stock market and Bitcoin um, is in its own place, which is important right now. But just the fact that they're up and everything else is down is, in a morning like this is quite significant. Yeah, I think it's yeah. uh, it gives uh, it, it gives confidence to altcoin traders that uh, you know with Bitcoin up and instead of you know the reversal of Bitcoin dominance, it's just Bitcoin up and in, in, in having strength in the face of so many problems in security markets right now, uh, especially this morning. That I think that just gives confidence to the entire space, you know, um, and it's uh, it's not. 
I don't think it's symptomatic of anything between Bitcoin and and altcoins as much as it's just that uh, there's more confidence in the space um, for for a day like fair. today. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's very. It, there are a couple of points I want to get back to on on as far as altcoins are concerned. Don't underestimate the importance of two news stories that came out last week. News story number one was Mr. Fink, who specifically talks about big. I mean, he, I mean, I, I didn't write his speech for him, but I could have given it. Right. He looks at Bitcoin as a monetary instrument. And we're going to get back to that because I want to talk about the demonetization of gold in a heartbeat. But he also specifically looks at crypto as an asset class, as one that's very important. Now, consider what that means, because the other story that came out last week is people are starting to file for for Ethereum spot ETFs. How long is it before BlackRock? And others start creating an index of high of, of high profile altcoins, yeah. and and then apply for an ETF based off of that. And so, you know, look, it, it, we're talking about if we had a different administration, that would happen within weeks, maybe months, but probably weeks. You know, if there were if 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 if, if Commissioner Purse were the the SEC commissioner, we'd have it already. But think about that. And index inclusion is a big deal. And so who knows what will be there? Now, why is Chainlink ripping? Chainlink's ripping because people are saying that DeFi will need an Oracle and all these things will happen. Why is Solana ripping? Solana's ripping because they didn't die when SPF died and there's technology there. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's as simple as that. It's like you know, people watch the, watch the, the thing, you know, watch the trial and they're saying, wait a minute, this thing's not dying. Well, okay, look, there's some actual statistics there. And so people go crazy. Why is Matic rising? Well, there's use cases in DeFi, et cetera. And you go up and down the line, you know, Filecoin, you know, Arthur Hayes, you know, uh, you know, talks about Filecoin and how important that will be for, for AI. I mean, look, it's early, but people forget that stocks are, were early too in 1998 when the internet bubble started. You know, every one of these sea changes, people are early. It, you need to understand that now. Is this a formation? Is this the basis for a sustainable rally in altcoins? Absolutely not. But if Bitcoin does rip, will it happen? Maybe. Do I want to be short these things? Are you out of your mind? Well, I think if Bitcoin chills here between 30 and 31 for a while, then we'll have this sort of temporary moment, right? But but, but I agree with you. Bitcoin has to do a lot more for us to see it. But I want to get back to two other themes. Theme number one is demonetization. I don't believe Bitcoin's going to demonetize gold overnight. I do believe it's inevitable. I think it's as inevitable it was that gold demonetized silver. Because the gold-silver ratio went went from 15 in the Earth's, which is where it is in the Earth's crust. And as silver, as prices started to rally with uh, various central banks and all sorts of things going on with gold, as prices started to rally and demand for it happened, then guess what? Uh, Silver was too damn heavy to use uh, for transactions, right? And gold was much more portable and it demonetized silver. It's as simple as that. It was much more convenient to use gold and silver. You know, we can talk about bimetallism, you go back to the history, it doesn't matter. The fact is gold effectively demonetized silver, not completely, but partially. Is Bitcoin gonna demonetize gold? Talk to me when Bitcoin is approaching three or 400,000. Until then, this squiggles on a chart. This is not that. Mike may be right, but if he is right, then 
you know, then maybe Mike Alfred, who's calling for one of the all-time great God candles, will turn out to be correct. <laughs> but I don't believe this is it yet. Uh, That's I think fair. that people get crazy about that. Now, as far as the economy goes, going back to macro, I mean, Let's do that. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of important. I, I look at this and it's it's interesting, but the real economy isn't is just not cooperating. Um, it's just not cooperating uh, with 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 you know <laughs> with with what's going on. You know, it, it, I'm just going to show, you know, whoops, Chrome tab. Yeah. You mean it's not cooperating with the with uh, rising rates? No, it's not cooperating. I mean, so this is a zoom out of the Baltic dry index. We all know what I care about, but look, look at it. Um, where are we? Uh, right. You know, it, so it, obviously, if you go back, you know, forever, it's right at the top of its normal range other than crazy economic breakouts. But notice I'm saying top of the normal range. I mean, you can see it. And when you go look over the last year, you know, that was the, you know, from since the rate rises, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not looking bad. And this is shipping of real goods. And when you see this up here and not down here, that is not what a Black Monday is made from. Right. It just isn't. And there's lots of other indicators, but, you know, it, it's it, the point is, is I, I know that, that I, I used to look at this a lot. I always look at this a lot. You know, the fact is we had an employment report. Uh, you know, you could argue that there a lot of it was part-time, whatever. At the end of the day, it doesn't look incredibly weak. The Fed's job hasn't been done for it. And now we're sitting in, 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 in a situation on the macro side, which I really want Mike to talk about. Someone who I think I thought was, was really at his pulse on it uh, was going on about how the Fed wants higher long rates, which I think is absolutely completely wrong. If but they want to die... Yeah, I, I mean, I think they don't, but I think the Fed is looking at the fact that long rates are creeping up and are terrified and, and they're saying things like long rates are doing the job. We don't need to raise rates. Anymore. The Fed is reactionary. They react, they react, they react. And now they're exactly, Dave, they're looking at that saying, oh, well, maybe we don't have to raise as much because the bond market is doing the work for us. Do they want to decimate the market? No, they want the soft landing, the, the Goldilocks scenario. They're not going to get it, but that's what they want. Right? I was arguing so. with someone yesterday who told me we've already had a soft landing. <laughs> I mean, but the point is, is that the 10-year, 5% on the 10-year is a big deal. It's a big deal. That's, you know, that's the, one yeah, thing that's, we haven't that, even that, touched on guys, yet today. So, yeah, I was going to say, that's what we actually need to talk about right now, because that's what's causing people to call for this Black Monday idea Listen, as if like the world ends when you go from 4.99% last week to 5% It's a mental level, though. It's a huge mental level. You're it is up. huge. Yeah. yeah. Go let's, ahead, let's, 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 Okay. Mike, yeah, Mike, yeah let me just, um, if I could share a screen, I'll start there. I, <clears throat> I've been um, lining up a few charts, and that's it. That's the 10-year. It looks like it might have peaked. It's at 496 at the moment. Um, but that this is a crash. I mean, in terms of bond market crash, we all know how bad it is. I mean, it, um, it's just a question. I like to overlay the 10-year note with copper on the same scale. It looks just like the peak of 2007. Copper's almost at the same level. I think they're going to drop like they did to two or three. It's just way things always happen in a normal recession. Here's 10-year note yields here. Here's it's copper. Like, and, same and just scale. remind people, I mean, the, the point is, Mike, that, and what people, some, some people are missing is that it's not that it's at 5%. It said it went from zero to 5%. So fast. In yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, like, this is just, uh, it's, in, it's incredible 
how yeah. fast this has risen. And, and how much money has is lost in unrealized losses throughout the entire banking system. And it's not just the banking system. It's corporate balance sheets. Yeah. It's lots yeah. of things. Everyone who does treasury management, it there are there's huge gaping holes. And by the way, you know, the yield, the inverted yield curve, which we all know that I was the, the dissent on this uh, on this panel. I've been the dissent forever. I said that the inverted yield curve doesn't mean anything other than the Fed and the government trying to keep their long-term borrowing mm -hmm. costs down. And That's now the two to thirty is now flat. So this is about to uninvert, guys. I mean, yeah, I hadn't checked it today, but we're at minus 0.147% here on the yield curve. Now, a lot of people have pointed out, by the way, that Lynn Alden actually wrote about this recently. It's, it is a little different this time because it's a result of one going up, not the other one coming exactly. down. But it, they're both going up. Of, they're it's up, not because yeah. of Fed ease. That's one going up more than the other. Excuse it's, me. It's right. worse. It's, it's worse. worse. And, exactly, yeah. Mike. It's yeah. worse. Yes. And let me show you one key headline from this weekend. I, I enjoyed, I mean, I don't enjoy seeing it, but this is what's <laughs> happening. Americans fall behind in car payments, the highest rate on record. This is just normal stuff kicking in from spiking rates on the back of the biggest. You give people free money, they buy cryptos and stocks, and then you take it away. Everything goes down. It's yeah, and who just gets hit first? Started. Subprime and, gets hit first. Subprime, yeah, right? Gets, yeah. yeah. And Bingo. I just want to show two two other charts. This is a same scale S and P five hundred divide by a thousand over a copper. It's basically the same price. And S and P five hundred should go down to here if it just follows that normal thing. But I want to show you also two key things: a big difference between bull markets and bear markets. Here's a bear market. This is crude oil, and I love how Scott um, sometimes. You're you're nice to me sometimes. You don't always remind me of when I'm wrong, but this is part of the reason I'm bearish crude oil because it doesn't go up. This goes back to 2008. It's been going down. I show you in white is crude oil in a year, which is kind of the adult version. And then the first contract, it goes to a little bit of backwardation. And here's a bull market. Here's gold and Bitcoin. Why should I change that view? Gold, the thing is gold's just hovering at its level. Bitcoin going up over time, both in log. And Bitcoin getting a little um, pump recently, but if you like, you scale that scale that back. Bitcoin's got so much further to go just to catch up. Yeah, but that's the key I mean, thing I, I, I point think, out as I far. There's three things here. First, deflation. That's deflation. I, I want to absolve you on oil because <laughs> I don't think you predicted we would be uh, on the potential cusp of not one but two world wars. Uh, you also called the. I mean, you also called the top at one twenty ish when some everybody right. else was talking so higher. I, I and we are, I, and we are significantly lower than that. Been spot yeah. on, and there are other factors at play here as far as that goes. By the way, factors that that are one hundred percent part of the thesis to invest in things like Bitcoin, uh, right? You know, distrust in institutions, etc., and whatever. But so there's there's we we have three macro factors that we you know I, I don't really want to dig into some of it, but there's can't avoid it. One is war and geopolitics. The other is the election. And, and, and the third is what James was talking about. The fact that you can't group when you do S&P divided by copper, you're doing a, a gross generalization of the entire economy. There is a difference. The biggest difference between Main Street and Wall Street is Wall Street is dominated by the rich who are more insulated uh, from this stuff in the beginning than Main Street. And so things that are collapsing Main Street, like defaults on car payments, like in, like inability to move to go to a Got new it. job because you're stuck in Got a mortgage right that you can't possibly afford uh, to move to a new city, uh, those things affect 
the middle class and down, and the middle class and down own an incredibly small percentage of equities. And so we need we, we need to be be mindful of that. They also happen to compromise the majority of voters. And so as we go into an election cycle where the mainstream narratives that put the Biden in office are collapsing around him faster than anything else, uh, you need to understand or we need to understand that the political pressure on the Fed to play ball with with the administration to not allow Main Street to feel the pain is going to be intense. Uh, that's been my I've been saying that for a year and saying we need to wait. Well, we're enter, about to enter the fourth quarter. And I think that this will start showing up. In, and I don't believe the Fed There's If the Fed doesn't tighten in November and December, I think we're they're done in this cycle. And I think they're done and the next move is down. Uh, and yeah, that might spook investors. I think that's the funniest part about it is I think when the Fed starts easing, it will cause, you know, it will spook investors because it always has, it probably always will. And Mike, you've said this extremely well, but we can't ignore politics. We can't ignore the collapse of narratives such as, you know, open borders and, you know, what's going on and, and certain mainstream, you know, leftist things that are going on right now. And what you're seeing, what we've seen over the weekend, which, by the way, chills me to the bone. And while I don't really like talking about geopolitics, I am appalled at what we've seen in higher education over the last month is bad. And I've been a critic of higher education for a while. But I think many, many people are appalled now. And I think, it, you know, we may be reaching a seminal moment or not. And, uh, and if not, then I'm in big trouble given what my last name is. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll put that off to the side. But there are many cross currents going on here. And whether you believe in the fourth turning thesis or any of the other Bitcoin standard style, you know, collapse of civilization is and the rise of Bitcoin thesis, which I do not subscribe to, by the way, uh, it, it, there are people who are looking at that. And so there's a lot of cross currents here. But, but I'm really curious, you know, Mike, you know, from your perspective on the yield curve and, you know, what a normal yield curve would do. I mean, you guys, your economists must look at this. I mean, what does the budget deficit in the U.S. look like? What percent of GDP is it if the long bond was at, say, six and a half, which would be normal yeah, that, with interest rates this high, about a percent and a half positive sloping yield curve? What would that, happen? That, that is the significant thing, if I can share screen again, that um, I, I've heard my entire career that, oh, yields are going up because um, the deficit's increasing, but at increasing at 8% almost of GDP, the deficit and never increasing that pace without a recession or a war is significant. But that's the key thing I'm showing you here in terms of the Fed. They <laughs> right the now they same this exact same chart they, I had on my they, screen. <laughs> yeah, they yes. still don't they still don't care. And this is the key thing that we've been focusing on a few months. We still have tightening priced in the system. You have Fed funds at 5.33. The system's still priced for January of 5.42. That basically for markets to bottom, you typically have to go to ease. And that's why this is a lose-lose for everything. Bond yields are going up, short yields are still hiking. And right as we speak, Dave, you'll love this. The bond yield right now is 5.13 and the two-year-note yield is 5.11. So we've re-steepened, but it's for the wrong reasons. And this is where a lot of it is, yeah, obviously the deficit. But to me, this is more the classic capitulation of the bond market that's akin to October and I'd say Q3, um, 1987 before the stock market crash. It's just yeah. not good. And it's, that's, that's well, what's tilting everything lower. 
But Dave, it was, it's not specific. just one. It's just not just one side of the equation, right? Because if you have rates that are up over six percent on the long end of the curve, something will break, meaning that we will have a washout. You know, a a, a, a watershed moment where unemployment spikes, spending crumbles, just craters, and earnings crumble, and by just by extension of that GDP and tax receipts crumble. So what, if you think that you're going to sit at $2 trillion of, of deficit, just because of the interest rates higher in 12 months, you're out of your mind. Like the, 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 I, I don't the think that, I, that if I'm trying to, is, I'm trying to, I'm yeah. lobbing you guys softballs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the ultimate softball is this it's, is it, it, you know in a world where the administration is cheerleading union demands, print spending money like drunken sailors, telling the Fed you deal with inflation, we'll deal with everything else. At what point, uh, with long rates going up and stresses in the banking system happening, entering a political year, does the Fed sit on the sidelines? Particularly They're, since they won't. China well, is no longer it. buying our debt. Yeah, they'll they'll go in the back door somewhere, and we'll have another They're acronym. They're going to do QE. There's yeah, they'll no have another acronym. It'll be quiet QE. It'll be a sleep, just a, a a stealth QE somewhere. Where it's a new BTFP program. They're not. That's going to get re-upped. They're not. That's not going to expire. That's going to get extended. You know. I mean, it's. What do we have? A hundred billion dollars in there right now. That's going to that that will yeah, continue. I was going to ask, where do reverse repo and BTFP stand right now? Because it seems like that's still the quiet reason well, two, that everything hasn't cracked, collapsed. Two separate questions, right? Because the when reverse repo gets drained, that's when the treasury market really starts to, to stumble and look and, and they, they've got problems because all they're doing right now is just teasing money out of the reverse repo on the short end of the curve in order to keep issuing T-bills, right? But once that reverse repo is, is once that's drained, they're going to, the, the treasury market's going to have to turn somewhere else. And that's when you, like Dave is saying, you're going to have that stealth QE in the back, back, um, you know, of the, uh, of the curve where the treasury is, is out there somehow allowing the fed to buy, and 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 you know execute some sort of yield curve control in order to keep this the the market going because you cannot have it stumble and that was my point so right. china's not buying our debt anymore central banks around the world are buying gold who knows some might be even buy, might be buying bitcoin we can't tell the smaller ones on the fringes uh but the reality is right now scott you had a chart that the fed was a net was one of the only net sellers of of bonds right uh, over the last quarter, what happens yeah. when that flips? When the Fed, it, when there is, when there's just no buyers, who else is going to buy them? Or, or yeah. not no buyers? Let's 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 be let's talk like economists. They won't go no bid unless there's a major catastrophic. Yeah. No, 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 not no when, when they become yeah. the, the, the most, not the most, yeah, biggest to handle the issuance. That's the issue. That's the issue. That's and why the long end of the curve is going higher on the yield. That's why. Period. That's right. But at some point, the Fed steps in because the Jap Japanese scenario is a hell of a lot better than the crash scenario. And, but can, and that, they, can that be done now? What, at that, this that's point. been my thesis all along. Can they step in and control this though? Because when you look sure. at the debt and you look at the situation, it seems like it just too far gone. And here's the they funny part at the end of this my year. My favorite maxim, don't fight the Fed. There you go. Don't fight the they, Fed. And it's right. well, and your people are going to get killed if they start shorting the 10-year and the 30-year if the Fed decides no mas. 
they're going to get killed, carried out, body bags. And and traders know this. And so, you know, they're, they'll, they'll dance in and out and yet whatever. But, you know, a severe bet that we can allow interest rate. Because, look, we all know what happens. If the long end gets up to, if the 30-year the starts approaching six, not five, people are going to be like, oh, we have a new normal. Let's look back at the 70s. We had interest rates get to double digits. Oh, okay, I'm going to make that bet. And then the Fed realizes, well, if you do that with the jet debt to GDP that we have, the government, it will be, it's, it'll be a complete disaster. We're, we're at structural deficits before spending a dime. Uh, that, that doesn't happen. So I think the Fed will act. Uh, you know, the playbook of QE is still there. They don't like it. But, you know, someone pointed out this morning on, on X, well, you know, these guys really just don't want the things to break while it's on their watch. They don't care about yeah. what happens five years from now. And I think that, that that's been the scenario I thought would play out in 2024 uh, for, for over a year, which is the Fed becomes, you know, maybe they don't recut interest rates, but they become accommodative on the long end and there's stealth or, or less stealthy QE. That's always been what I've thought. Yeah, what, what happens, There can't be tremendous damage inside the economy from all of this. What happens when, uh, when, when Japan lets their yields, their 10-year their go over 1%? Well, they can't. They, they can't afford yeah. it. Well, so they're talking. What happens when they do that at the end of this year? If they if they do that at the end of this year, then suddenly, you know, you don't have that. You don't have that flight to to yield for the uh, for the U.S. Treasury. It's it, that's yet another. That's just a just another large factor that people aren't thinking about. Like that, I think the Fed's going to have their hands full. The Fed and the Treasury are going to have their hands full trying to keep yields under control. And, you know, at the end, at, at the end of this year, and that's without having a recession, that's without having some sort of event. So I have one counter on that. And I think it's the classic case and observation of we've had the biggest pump in liquidity in the history of mankind and zero interest rates sure. that I think is just starting to dump. And one little signal is S&P 500 break, breaking below its 200 day moving average. Next will be 200 week and then 200 month. It's just the way it always has happened when you pump that much. I think we're just getting started. And that was the biggest push on inflation ever. And I think that's the key thing that has to happen is wealth needs to be destroyed. And the Fed has stated it in, in, indirectly. And I think that's what we're doing right now. And once you just start destroying wealth and people shut back and lose jobs and you get negative GDP growth, inflation will collapse. The mm -hmm. Fed will ease. And then we're going to have to worry about this deficit. To me, the first trade is the bond market prices um, taking off and, and collapsing. It's just the next trade. But all this discussion inspired me to bring up this next chart, which I was working on as we're doing. On the same scale, I show leading indicators in orange. They're minus 8%. We've never been minus 8% without a recession. That's what I show you in magenta. But also on the same chart is our budget deficit. It recently bounced from minus from 8% to just about 6 as the student loan payments started coming. What does that mean? Your average 30-something has all that cash they had is now being pulled away. <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, um, this is part of my great reset. I don't see what stops at this point. And the key thing that's the trigger is the stock market going down means all boats fall. Yeah, I, I brought up a uh, a uh, screen earlier when Dave was talking because he mentioned it. Car owners fall behind on payments at highest rate of record. Like you said, we we know that credit card debt is a sort of uh, historic highs that uh, defaults, small business bankruptcies, all of these things, but. Is this that the old sort of situation where 
the market and the economy just aren't the same thing, and people seem to well, get them. Scott, we haven't even talked about the housing. I mean, market. stocks are jumping, by the way, pretty pretty hard right now. But yeah, yeah go ahead. But we haven't even stopped, talked about the housing market, which is where so much wealth is tied up and asset prices. Are, that's where people borrow from. I mean, when that when this housing market actually comes to turn and it actually it starts to trade again, like it's in it's locked up, completely locked up right now. There, it, There's the question is, where does it go? Like, where where is that bottom? Of of the of pricing of of housing in particular, I mean, you've got the commercial real estate issue that we've been talking about for a long time. That the that every single bank is trying to shore up their balance sheet on. I mean, you're you're going to have asset managers just walking away, giving back keys, non recourse loans, and just walking away from these. More and more and more of them are going to be doing this. And then when interest rates do finally come down, where do the housing prices go? So it's kind of like a second. It's going to be a second leg down for the financial that. markets. I laugh because uh, you know everybody expects housing to crash now. It's the second that people feel like rates are coming down and that they can sell or buy that the everything's going to crash. But so the supply is going to come on the market when there's actual buyers who. Are, it's definitely yeah. going to be a, a reset, a pricing yeah. reset. What's that, Mike? Well, it's a key thing I've been really concerned about. People who are in the weeds of the real estate market tell me, oh, yields are going to come down. It'll be great. And then prices will go up. I'm like, no, it's the opposite. For yields to go down, as James said, you have to destroy wealth. It's just inevitable. When you see condos that have jumped 10x in five years, you know, historically, they always pull back and they always do with oomph, that's harder than ever. And this is why I want to show you when people talk about showing the screen, we talk about housing. I go back to 1976. It's the FHA house price index. It's just the simple lessons of markets. When you pump to this velocity, they get to near 20%, the average home price in the US, you almost always dump at double the velocity. You go up on the escalator, down the elevator, into a recession. And we're just getting started. The market's seized up. It's like that, that wealth destruction is inevitable and unfortunately, I don't see any sign of it stopping anytime soon. No, it's going to be wealth destruction that people are not expecting because of exactly what Mike yeah. said. People say, well, the rates are going to come down. People are going to start buying again. No, they're going to start selling. <laughs> you know? And it's going to be through that wealth destruction. That's right. I mean, so what I don't understand then is the soft landing camp. I know we talk about it every single yeah. time, but like I said, I mean, I was literally there's debating no, with there's someone. There's never been a soft landing. <laughs> it's a soft landing. It happened. They said, listen, it's it's October. Mike, can you bring up that chart fine. with all the soft landings for us? Oh, I, 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 I tweeted that the other day. That, no, no, that's where, where I got into the debate, actually. I tweeted that, and someone responded that my post was stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because it's well, work, but because obviously, you know, they're vested interest, but it's also classic yeah. human nature and never underestimate the hopium of self side. But just but so see, I say no, one, one thing record. in mind, guys, there's one thing that's very important. here. We always talk about inflation and consumer inflation. And you know that my biggest cause celeb has always been that in, that we've had raging inflation since the since we started expanding our budget deficits and running accommodative monetary policy back in the 80s. And people say, well, no, look at the price of shirts or look at the price of computers. And I thought, no, look at the price of things you can't import from overseas or automate away, such as education, medical care, et cetera. Uh, housing being one of them. And basically, with the pandemic, we let a genie out of the bottle, we being collectively the entire Western world, 
that was disastrous and they saw it to be disastrous, which was instead of a, a philosophy of encouraging capital substitution for labor, which prioritized, which meant asset inflation would, would happen and consumer inflation wouldn't, it reversed. You know, now the, the supply chain contracting part of the pandemic is gone, but, you know, it, it, the fact is, is now entering the part of the cycle with potential wage push inflation is a problem. There is the, the policymakers are, I mean, some of them are dumb. Yes, admittedly, especially the ones that got elected, but the ones that are in there sitting in their seats at the Federal Reserve are not dumb. Uh, I may disagree with them, but they're not dumb. Uh, they understand this is true. And so they're not trying, they, they're using the word soft landing, but what they really mean is re-engineer a return of uh, asset versus consumer inflation. That's what they're really looking to do. They want to see, they don't, because they know if house prices did do, had a cataclysmic drop, then that housing ATM, which is one of the ways people continue to sustain the U.S. consumer, goes poof. They know that. Uh, if it reverses, it's a real problem. And, you know, so there's all sorts of things that, that are real problems here. And so you, you, we just need to keep our eye on the ball. The ball is the Fed says their mandate is a stable currency. That's a joke. And low inflation. That's not a joke. They, they do want low consumer inflation. They don't care about asset inflation. In fact, if anything, asset inflation is good, although I don't think they care about it. And I think that's Mike's point and, and has been. And he's right, which is they don't care if the stock market crashes as long as it doesn't impact Main Street. But they do care about Main Street uh, because uh, for lots of reasons. And so there's all these factors going on. Right. And the Treasury <laughs> does care about inflation because they, they care about nominal GDP. And if it goes up because of inflation, it's fake productivity. So be it. They, they like their it. Problem. It's good. It's the only yeah. way to actually pay back the debt. That's right. So they, they, they like asset inflation. As I said, they like it. I believe all roads in 2024 lead to QE. That's my point. And I don't know what it's going to mean for interest rates. Turning Japanese. But I, I believe, but that's been my thesis. I, I'm, I feel stronger about it now than I did two weeks ago. And I suspect in a month, I'm going to feel stronger still. But Mike, to yeah. your point then, isn't that only if the stock, that happens because the stock market crashes, right? You can't have the stock yeah. market stay up here and yeah. have a return to QE. Yeah. Something has to massively exactly. break. And you always it, say that's going to be stocks. Stocks um, are the number one real-time indicator, S&P 500, the most significant beta measure on the planet. When I was in a hedge fund, we did everything versus S&P 500 and our value at risk models. Um, it's it's indisputable. If people feel wealthy, they're going to spend, just like Dave mentioned. But I also, I, I want to share screen a little bit. It's just, that's why I would love for it not to happen. But um, I, I, I love addressing things like soft lane. I had a pushback in soft lane. I just want to show you narrowed on the one chart, uh, money supply collapsing, federal funds rate going up. But if there's one simple chart I want to show you, it's this one. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple. The Russell is heading lower. It's down on the year. Christopher Altman of Calsters, CalPERS um, said, yeah, he thinks S&P 500 could end up down in the year. Okay, so we got another drop, another 12%. It's just a simple fact of the 100-week moving average of Russell's turned down, the Fed's still hiking rates. Next subject, where's what, what can I do with my money? Turing note, 5.1%. Click, see you, call you back in two years. <laughs> it's just That's not right. that complicated. But it's now that what's happening is classic human nature. So every wealth manager on the planet is almost every person got overweight equities because it made them that way, but they got so used to a world where they had to work with against no alternative. And there is, it's 5.1% right now on the screen on two, you know, deals. But, but keep one thing in mind while you're right, if you don't have it, 
pension funds, generally their actuarial assumptions, the bottom, the cheapest one is 6%. A lot of them are at 8%. So when you're, you go to your board and you say, I'm, lock, I'm gonna lock in for two years a deficit to our actuarial assumption of one to 3%, you tend not to keep job security very long. It is so, easier for these people to explain a bad year in the stock market than waving the white flag and saying we can't do anything. I'm totally not disagreeing with you if I'm a discretionary manager and I know I need to ride things out. And if you look at it over 20 years, if you manage to successfully ride out the two or three, the, the two worst two year periods, you do really well. But that's not how our what have you done for me lately society works. Yeah, but Dave, how many? Uh, this is a legitimate question. How many? How many of your average investors who go to a real estate advisor are actually paying a major attention to the rate of inflation versus the rate of return that they're getting on those treasuries? I feel like no, most I'm not, people I'm talking see about that. Yeah, you're talking about. Okay. You're talking about oh, like pensions. the talking just, about no, very, very fair. Exactly. Okay, sorry. I, I thought you were talking about <laughs> yeah, retail. I'm like, yeah. they see five percent. They're like, I'm making five percent. They don't think I'm losing two or three percent, right? Right. No, no, I'm not talking. Mike is hundred yeah. percent correct with yeah. discretionary funds. People, you know, I, I am talking specifically about pension funds who have actuarial assumptions of what they need to make and right, human right. beings making investment decisions where it might very well be the right decision. In fact, it's a very good argument that in the stock market that you might very well say, you know what, let's take a one year rate of return or a six month rate of return. And at five point like six months is what? Five point four. Isn't that why hedge funds theoretically exist? To do better, you know, to, to lose less yeah, absolutely. things are bad. But, but there's a lot. The, the point that I'm trying to make is there's a lot of people who, quite frankly, are paid. Their jobs are paid to invest based on hopium. I hate to say it, but that is kind of the point. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not disagreeing with Mike. Yeah, you're saying um, like the point is they, they have, that we have to be cognizant of that because that they that, have no that, choice but to allocate to some risk assets because of that 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 shortfall. Period. That's right, yeah. and so that right. so that, that's what tends to cushion the downside. But the truth of the matter is, the market for uh, you know, mar markets are vulnerable. I saw a stat this morning, which is which is crazy. I don't know if it's true, but I'm assuming it is. <laughs> Uh, that half the companies. <laughs> we're going to announce it on your show, Scott. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a, a, someone. Said, I would. I would. This is a question for Mike. I saw a tweet. I don't know if it's true. You probably know this. That half the companies in the S and P five hundred, or or half listed companies, something like that, are no longer profitable or in this quarter. Yeah, I've I heard. I heard that. It's similar, similar to Russell two thousand. But I think I'm glad you brought up that actuary assumption, Dave, because you said it before and it makes complete sense. That is what I'm calling for. Is for there's always been periods in history you look back and say, oh. That is no longer the case. It's time. We don't have those 8% guaranteed returns anymore. And every single time we get that, which we always have, um, that's when the time to buy and uh, get back into risk assets. And to me, what better time in history than now for this to revert towards pushing that old mantra down than 
the ba- the setup for how we got here. Remember, we had just three years ago, we all afraid we're going to die. Well, that's the best reason in the world for the most liquidity in history. Well, all the rules of liquidity and massive, when you pump it and take it away, are what's happening now and what's collapsed in cryptos and towards deflation. Now, we're not getting into bond yields yet, but to me, that's part of that slow moving mantra that what I think it's going to switch over to from those days of it's going to go up because it went up to it's going to go down because it went down. And that's why I started the program with the S&P 500 dropping below its 200-day moving average. Once it starts becoming self-fulfilling, we're overdue for that. Yeah, it's going to go down. It's going to go down. We just haven't had that in 20 years. We have three minutes left. I want to ask you a practical question for the audience. 60-40 portfolio has been what what, uh, investment advisors have been pushing. What should it be at this point after what we've seen? Now, you don't have to say whether you believe gold, Bitcoin, but there it's my belief that there should be at least 5%, if not more, of alternative assets in your portfolio. I'm just curious how you guys would view that in light of the historic just collapse of 60-40. Well, I certainly would not have a 60-40 bond portfolio with with uh, a, a significant amount of, of long-duration treasuries. You know, if, Two years unless. If I have, I, I do own treasuries, but they're all on the very short end. Like, you know, like Mike said, you can just, you can tuck it away and get over, over 5% return on that. You're crazy not to do that just for a little, little just while roll to hide there. There's yeah. no, there's no, there's no probability, zero probability that there, that the treasury is going to default on, on anything. So that's, you know, that, that is a good spot to park cash for a while. You should own, own gold. You should own some Bitcoin in my opinion, you know, and I would be, I, I would definitely be more on the defensive end on, on the equity side. Uh, you can't time these things perfectly. So you have allocations that you can move around rapidly. And that's the point is that you- So be you nimble. Like, that's why short-term treasury is because you have some liquidity and you have flexibility. Dave, what exactly. do you Exactly. Your basis, your, 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 your interest rate risk is, is in basis points. It's not in percentage. Right. And, and I think that that's a critical point. But my answer to that question always depends on the first question I'd ask back. What's the time horizon for the portfolio? If you're yeah. talking about a 30 to 40 year old, uh, I'm going to have a 5% in Bitcoin. I mean, I know yeah, that sounds like a lot, but not a 75 year old though. No, but a 75 year old, I'm going to have, I may not have anything in Bitcoin, probably maybe a small amount, but it's, it's, it really does matter what your time horizon is and time yeah. horizons matter. Absolutely. So for example, yeah, you know, and if you're a nimble trader, as opposed to an asset allocator, I mean, at some point, I believe, if you believe my thesis, Mike's right, and the long end is going to top. And when the long end tops, that drives really good performance in owning the long end of the curve. Uh, I just don't think it's here. I think it's. I, I think the 30-year will have to get close to six before people start panicking. But, gotcha. but I could be wrong. I'm not trying to trade it. So it, it, time horizons matter. Uh, I would be very – look, in this particular environment, I would be in long-term assets – and in not so much on the risky asset side, meaning, right. you know, too heavy, you know, much heavier on the short end of the treasury curve. You see, Mike, I actually agree with you. I just would be depending Darn. on the time horizon. <laughs> it's more fun when you disagree. <laughs> you put much. I mean, think of it this way. With 5% interest rates, you could literally have a risk-free portfolio where you put 95% in two years and 5% in Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin goes to zero at the end of two years, you have get your money back. You get a principal protected note on Bitcoin with 5%. If you're willing to take more risk, double that to 10 
And you know, what do you what are you worrying about? Now, are there other sectors that look interesting? Yeah, of course there are, right? You know, there there it, it, we we talk about the market in the macro sense. You do a deep dive in. Do I think most things that say the word AI are overvalued? Absolutely. Do I think it could get more overvalued? Absolutely. Long Island uh, blockchain off iced tea, right? <laughs> there's, all, there's all sorts of stuff that can happen. But the truth of the matter is we are in the most uncertain times we've had uh, in my memory. Even in the global financial crisis, markets seized up. But we didn't have a geopolitical situation like this. We didn't have a situation where we have no idea. We still are looking down the barrel of, 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 of choosing between two octogenarians who half the country doesn't trust. Right. You know, it, it's, it's like there, there's no person to rally behind right now that could actually get anything close to a governable majority. I mean, look at the dysfunction in the House of Representatives and look at we dysfunction. We can't go down this path now at 10.02, Dave. No, I know. But I'm just saying <laughs> it is the time for safety. I know I sound like Mike. I'm sorry. But, you know, but he's right. Don't be sorry. He's right. Final words. I think we're entering the greatest reset of our lifetimes and not losing money will be you're um, better off than everybody else. Most other people, Charlie, which means guys. treasuries, maybe some cryptos, Bitcoin and gold. I love it, guys. This is a absolutely epic stream. The audience clearly agrees in the comments. And I think at one point there, we had our highest traffic ever on this uh, show. Awesome. Shows what happens when you write Bitcoin pump at the <laughs> what? <laughs> but guys, I, I want to encourage the audience. Seriously, I don't say this enough, but obviously the four of us uh, come show up every single Monday. And these are the guys I view as the ultimate experts on these topics, which is the reason that it's just the four of us at this point where I can learn and ask these guys questions. You should absolutely be following all of them. You should be, uh, Mike, I don't know how people subscribe to you, but 100% also subscribe to James's newsletter. You should be checking out Dave's channels on Coin Routes. Everybody here is sharing endless alpha outside of this hour just on Mondays. So you just got to follow all of them. Their, their uh, Twitters are down in the description, and I highly recommend uh, checking out all their content. Guys, I got to run to Crypto Town Hall. James, I think you're going to be there today. All of you are welcome. But uh, see you guys. This was amazing. Appreciate all of you watching. Let's just hope that uh, this thing keeps going. And next week, we're not talking about $25,000 Bitcoin. And <laughs> all right. That's all I got. See you guys next week. Bye.